Hello there, you Napa Valley lovers. I know you love wine. You love food. You love beans? Well, you're going to by the end of this show, because today my guest is a man whose passion for beans knows no bounds. His legumes have developed a cult following all of their own. He's the king of all beans. He's Napa Valley's Steve Sando of Rancho Gordo Beans, a most interesting fella. And I got to say, by the end of this talk with him, I was sold. I have become a bean freak. So I hope you'll get converted as well. And I don't know what this says about the folks who listen to the show, but uh, I've got to say, quite a few folks, when they heard his interview originally aired, or when they heard I had him on the show, they asked, well, what about the... uh, what about the farty aspect? I said, you know what? That didn't even occur to me to ask him. So what I did, instead of going back and asking him directly, I did a little extra reading on him, and I saw he even had a quote about that aspect of enjoying beans. And you know what he calls it? Gift with purchase. Couldn't have said it better myself. An eloquent man, Steve Sando, you're going to enjoy this interview. Before we get to it, I do want to let you know that us fine folks at Judd's Hill Winery here in Napa Valley want you to have some wine. We want to thank you for being listeners to this show. So go to judshill.com, have a look around, watch some fun videos, check out which wines are available, put some in your shopping cart, and when you're about to check out, type in JNVS, that stands for Judd's Napa Valley Show, all in lowercase letters, JNVS, and you will save 15% off your entire wine order. How about that? I'll tell you, that deal is going to be good through... Well, let's just say it's, it's good until we take it down. So go and have a look, get some wine, get a nice price on it. Of course, if you are a Judd's Hill Wine Club member, and you really ought to be, you're missing out on a lot of fun if you're not. Not only a lot of fun, but a lot of great wine as well. But you will get a better deal than that if you're a club member. So you can see our wine club at judshill.com, see what that's all about. It's free to join. And you can also get all of our visiting information. I want you to come say hi. I want to shake your hand. I want to say thank you in person for listening to the show. So come visit us at Judd's Hill, right along the Silverado Trail, amidst the verdant vines of the Napa Valley. We'll see you soon. In the meantime, enjoy the king of all beans, Steve Sando. It's always Finkalicious on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show. No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley Show. On Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa, Judd's Napa Valley, Judd's Napa Valley Show. And now, live from the 1440 KVON studio in the beautiful Napa Valley, it's Judd's Napa Valley Show. I'm Lauren Mole, and here's your host, Judd Finkelstein. Good morning, Lauren Mole. Top of the day, Judd. Top of the day, Lauren. How are you this fine, beautiful autumn Napa Valley morn? I'm doing great. Yeah, what's happening? You know, it's good to see you. Last week, we were here. We were on the air for, I think, a total of six minutes. Something like that. Six minutes. You know, we had a guest who was ill, so didn't come in. We played a... Uh, a best of, which was fine. Always, always glad to have something interesting to play. But you and I were live for about six minutes. It was fun. It was short but sweet. But I've kind of missed hanging out with you. So what's been going on this week? Well, uh, 
what's been what's go, what's been going on this week? Yeah. Well, busy schedule and uh, something else is coming up this weekend. Oh, what's up? I'm getting my duds on, Judd. <laughs> is that right? What is it? I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the Grand National Rodeo at the Cow Palace this weekend. You? Oh my goodness, really? Are you are you a a, a roper, a rancher? Uh, uh, well, are you going to bust some Broncos? Well, I do? I do like cowboys and horses. There's a little history of ranching in our family. Oh, there is? Um, well, on my mom's side of the family, that is. So you probably really do have some duds to put on. I do. I'm getting my cowboy on, Judd. Yeehaw! <laughs> Chop some spurs? Chop some spurs. <laughs> okay. Well, what's going on? I mean, the rodeo, Have you? do you go often? What's, what's your... Well, I was involved in it uh, 16 years ago. I, I went to Cornerstone. Uh, it's a it's a special program designed to help uh, disabled kids. Yeah? And what was the involvement with the rodeo for that? Oh, well, because uh, I like to ride horses. Oh, so do you actually rode in a rodeo? I, I did. Wow. It was fun. That's really cool. You know, where we're sitting right now is one block from the uh, Horsemen's Association That's here right. in Napa. Do you ever get over there and do some you know, riding? I, you know, I've actually never been there before. It's a really nice facility. Uh, oh, check it, it out and get on a horse. Oh, maybe. Yeah. yeah I, have, I haven't been back on a horse for such a long time. Well, the rodeo's coming up. Well, there you go. Okay, well, cool. So that's happening uh, this... When did you say I'm sorry? Uh, this weekend, actually. Oh, this weekend. Down in San Francisco. Cow Palace. The cow, well, where else? Cow Palace. <laughs> well, yeehaw, man. Have fun. Oh, it's going to be great. Ride them. Well, that's coming up this weekend. In a couple weeks is the big... Um, what are we calling it? Treasure Chest O Fun is what we're calling it. October 28th. It's a Monday night. It's happening at 1313 Main here in Napa, the Hip Wine Lounge. It is their big gala for uh, breast cancer benefit for Queen of the Valley uh, Cancer Center. And we are partnering, we meaning Judd's Hill, partnering with them to also debut the latest episode of our pirate-themed wine talk show, Wine Booty. The fourth episode of that will debut that night, and tickets are $75 a person. That gets you wine. That gets you food right there from Lulu's Kitchen at 1313 Main. That gets you into the party. There's going to be music. There's the uh, premiere episode of Wine Booty number four. There will be a silent auction. There's going to be a live taping of everyone's favorite new reality dating series from Judd's Hill TV, Buccaneer Bachelor. And there's also going to be the pirate ship that we made out of a barrel that sailed into McCovey Cove and got on national TV and CBS Sports Photo of the Day. It's a pirate ship made out of wine barrels by local artist David Hopp. That will be docked in front of 1313 Main for one night only there on Main Street in downtown Napa. If you want tickets for Monday, October 28th for this, go to 1313main.com, 1313main.com, or judshill.com and click on the events. Ticket link is there. I hope to see you. That's from 6, uh, 6, 6.30. I should have it in front of me, but it's in the evening that Monday. Come join us. Lauren. Yes, Judd. We have a great show lined up today. We do. And I would love for you to introduce our guest. Sure. As we return to our regular hour-long format, Judd. That's right. No longer this six-minute business. That's We're back right. to an hour. That's right. This man has discovered a niche that's his thing. With more legumes to enjoy than you've ever seen, Rancho Gordo's become a food lover's dream. Let's welcome the jefe, the king of all beans, Steve Sando. Good morning. Steve Sando, Rancho Gordo Beans. Thank you. I, I've never had such a good introduction, I have to say. <laughs> Isn't he? He's a pro. Yeah, definitely. I'm 
take him everywhere. Before I, <laughs> I do. In any room, I want him to announce me. That would be good. All right. Will you farm yourself out? I know I, t- I bring you around, but maybe you could uh, follow Steve around as well. Might as well. Yeah. Well, I, well, let's get right to it. Before I ask you about your background and everything, there is something coming up that you should talk about. And we can talk about it again at the end. But you said there's an event coming up. Maybe Lauren could come announce very soon. I would soon. love that. Yeah. This uh, this Friday at our store on Yohomi. Right here in having, Napa. Um, here in Napa. We're having uh, two women who wrote a great book called Celebraciones Mexicanos. And it's in English, even though the title's in Spanish. Uh-huh. And it goes through all the different Mexican holidays. And it has recipes for appropriate food. And it's a beautiful book. And so Friday around 5, we'll have them signing. They're going to do a short presentation. We also have the Ballet Folklorico de Napa Valley. Oh, how cool. Which, if you want to cry, this is the way to do it. These little <laughs> kids doing their folk regional folk dances, and they're all dressed up, you know, like the Chino Poblana and the different uh, regional things. It's just amazing to see. I have seen, It is yeah, so sweet. It's the best. And you think... Uh, yeah, we need to support them any way we can. So we're doing this. Good. And we also have uh, Gloria Ferrer pouring uh, tastes of their wines as oh, well. bubbly. Yes. And the, we're actually having beans, of course, to sample. And then we also bring in Piloncillo from Mexico, which is unrefined sugar. And oh. Normally it comes in hard cubes that are difficult to work with, but it literally is juiced cane sugar. Mm-hmm. So there's no more processing. But we found a uh, cooperative that knows how to use it and makes it granulated in the Huasteca region of San Luis Potosí. So I sound like I'm really know what I'm talking about. You do know what you're talking yeah. about. That's um, why we have you on. Only yeah. experts on Judd's Napa Valley show. But we have this great cookie being made with this peel and seal. So we'll have Ooh. those to give out as well. How nice. Yeah. So that's all happening at your store, Rancho Gordo. Uh, yes, 1924 Yahomi at Jackson uh, from 5 to about 7.30 or so, and there's no cost. You don't need RSVB. Just show up and uh, meet the women who wrote this great book. Fantastic. We have uh, a lot of book events there. You know, we've had Diana Kennedy, who was the queen of Mexican cooking. Yeah. We've had uh, Deborah Madison. No, Deborah. What's the woman who was? Oh, Deborah Madison. Yeah, exactly. Who wrote uh, Vegetarian Cooking for Everyone. Oh. We, we've had a lot of different book parties there. It's a cool space. You know, I want to get... I want to get to it. I want to find out so much about you because, honestly, you, you're a guy I've been excited to meet. I really haven't met you before. This is our first time hanging out, and I just have so much to ask you about. And I'm already a great admirer because you have taken something which before, at least to me, seemed, I don't know, kind of mundane. Beans. Okay, mm-hmm. beans. Be- there's beans. Hooray, I guess. Yeah. But you have made them into something that is so hip and so cool. And the first time I walked into your store... I got so excited by the way everything looked and was laid out and the variety and the colors and the stories about all these beans that I wanted, every single bean you had. I got so excited to eat beans. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you, my, you, my evil work is done. You have really, do you come from a, a, a bean background, a marketing background? How did you become the king of beans? No, I think I'm a perfect product of California. I grew yeah. up in the Bay Area in Sausalito and right around the time when I think when the food revolution was kind of happening, you know, in San Francisco and in Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And peripherally, I understood something important was going on. The way we were eating was changing. Mm -hmm. So I've always had an interest in food. And then, you know, I moved to London at one point to discover how not to eat. Then I moved to Italy at one point where I was completely enamored with everything Italian. And I came home and was cooking, and I think I really was more uh, frustrated home cook than anything. I have no ag background and no real professional cooking background. but No kidding, really? Well, in the early 80s, I worked at Esprit, the fashion company, which I think a lot of young people did in the early 80s. (laughs) Then I moved to Italy, and then I um, came back, and I... (laughs) 
I actually in Italy I had a radio show where I would make American cocktails and play American jazz from the fifties, thinking these were our best exports. I was wow. really conscious of what it meant to be an American. And you go to Italy and you're sometimes overwhelmed by their monoculture. It's like everybody agrees this is a great gnocchi. And here we have everything from Olive Garden to Mario Batali, and we don't <laughs> we can't agree on anything. Right. So in some ways I think a monoculture is oppressive, but uh, one nice thing is everyone agrees. And Italians really agree on quality, which was sort of an issue with us. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I, I just it was interesting being in a foreigner. And one of the things I thought I was proud of was American jazz in our cocktail culture. Yeah, this was in the '80s too, before it reboomed. Yeah, yeah, so, you were ahead of it. So I did this show live for a year and a half, which was really scary. In I, Italian? In Italian. I didn't speak Italian. Oh, so it was more like charro, you know, having a show, you know, <laughs> Gucci Gucci, and like. Me like for to play you song of goodness. You know? So you were speaking Italian, even yes. though you don't really speak. Well, Italian. I got by the end. I I did much okay. better. But Italian. I would love, love to hear some tapes of this. It's scary, but yeah. it's good. But they kept me on. I think for the whatever reason. But okay. Italians love calling in, and they'd you know you do this live show, and they'd say, "I want to hear something from uh, Sara Vogan." I'm thinking, Sarah, oh Sarah Vaughan, you know oh, and, Vogan. And it, but it's live, and you have to really think on your feet. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I came home and thought I would be a great radio DJ. And of course, this is right when talk radio was happening. And it was the last thing that was ever going to happen was a show about cocktails and jazz. Mm -hmm. So I started um, making a magazine about music and Wired picked up on it. And they said, there's this new thing called the web. So anyway, in the long, oh. to condense it, I became a web designer. And, all right. um, so I've done all these different things. And along the way, each one was frustrating. It's like, why aren't I making it? And all my friends seemed to know what exactly they were, they were doing. And my advice to anybody out there is just hang in there. Suddenly mm -hmm. this will all make sense. I think from a spree I learned branding. From moving to Italy I learned nerve. Yeah, from okay. uh, working, getting wired and doing the computer work, I realized you could run a business from a computer. You don't need a whole mm -hmm. IT system anymore. So at 40, I found myself over everything. And like, what am I going to do? Because there was always someone younger and cheaper and in the web design business. And so I thought, I'll get a garden and get a job at Target, and then I'll be at least happy as long as I have this garden. Yeah, you'll have a job you can go to, but really your focus will just be gardening something you like right. to do. And but I gave up. I thought, you know what? You're a screw-up. <laughs> this isn't going to work. <laughs> and that's when this all happened. Isn't wow. that amazing? Like, at the point I gave up. But I wish I could go back and tell that 20-year-old guy, just calm down. It's going to work out. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But I was always, like, very nervous because some people know I'm going to be a doctor, and they just go through that. And right. I'm so envious of that kind of person. But I, it took me to 40. To yeah, there's, there. there's something to be said for having a certain amount of faith or at least a, a goal that you work towards. and Sure. And but, you know, that's not everybody's path. So it's if not. you got to relax, it's what my advice is to anybody out I there. I couldn't agree more. Me. Okay, so what was it that you – so you, did you get a job at Target and start gardening? Well, or? I started gardening, and um, it was one of those years where anybody could grow anything in Napa, which – some of us can relate to that. I mean, this is a great place to grow stuff. Oh yeah, stick a stick a stick in the in the dirt, and it's going to sprout. You know, it's very fertile. Right. So I erroneously felt I had a gift as a farmer. Uh -huh. So I had this bumper crop, and I was going to sell it at the farmers markets. And then what did you have? What were you growing? Tomatoes, and I was really okay. working on heirloom varieties, which we have several people who grow great tomatoes here, mm -hmm. but. Heirloom was more of a branding word than an actual thing, and I I really thought I want to go into it and do green zebras and also find um, Mexican uh, tomatoes in particular because now all of a sudden my interests were in Mexico. <laughs> we're going to talk about that yeah. too in a bit. But. No, but I tend to not have a casual interest in anything. Like once I'm interested in it, I 
this kills me to think there might be some information that I don't know. Okay. So, so anyway, so I thought I'd do Mexican tomatoes. But if you grow tomatoes in Napa, they really don't ripen until the end of summer compared right. to other places. So I thought, well, I'll just do heirloom beans to carry me through until the tomatoes ripen. And of course, that's the other thing is have a really good script and then be prepared to throw it away. <laughs> right. It's like tomatoes weren't the story. The beans were the story. And right. The understudy turned out to be the star. Exactly. Yeah. So I'd heard about heirloom beans and uh, grew some. I fell in love with them. It's like, oh, this is and we, the first one I grew was called Rio Zappe. And it was like, it's pintos that I love, but oh, there's chocolate in there and there's hints of coffee. And this is the richest, most delicious bean I've ever had. Wow. And I started thinking, well, maybe there's others. And that's how it's, the whole thing snowballed. And uh, now we grow 25. And I immediately got out because to grow beans, to make any kind of money, it really needs to be a larger um, situation. Well, so when you say got out, you're not actually growing them at no, your no, place no, anymore. No, no, okay. No. And I really was never, I'm really great at the beginning of the season. And I think, well, I've conquered nature and she's going to listen to what I say now. And by the end of the summer, it's like, please, can we just plow this under? I'm so over this whole thing. <laughs> so I'm not the best farmer at all, but I love, you know, visiting. We've got seven farmers now, five in California. Now we're just playing around in Washington to see if that works. And we give them the seed every year, and then we buy back, and we work uh, with growing standards. So you keep it mostly local, even though you're not growing them yourself. Yes. Um, Yeah. I mean, as a native California, I really would love to help support Napa. I mean, California ag. Napa's, unfortunately, too expensive to grow a crop that doesn't pay as much. I mean, as grapes and people. Right. But it was a nice start. But we're in the Delta mostly, Mm -hmm. in the Central Valley. Not far away. No. But at what point did you realize, okay, this this is what's happening for me? The, what was the, what was the key to the success? What what launched it? Where you said, okay, beans beans is it? I'm well, doing beans. I'm opening a store. This is my business. This is my life from now on. Well, I'd love to tell you that there was a master plan, <laughs> but you know, you just you roll with it. I, I do have to say, the first I couldn't get into the Napa market in the beginning, so I had to go to the Yonville market this and the I, farmers market. The farmers market, yeah. which I don't even think happens anymore. Um, it was. Napa was Tuesday morning and Yonville was Wednesday night. And mm. I remember the first time I sold Swiss chard to um, a veteran from the veteran's home who had come down, I remember thinking, oh, this is going to work. And of course, I made $1.25. Yeah. And it was probably $70 to <laughs> produce that. But you made a sale. I made a sale. I thought, yeah. okay, this is really addictive. Um, but with the beans, you know, I started introducing them, and people would come up and think, oh, I love nuts, and get all excited, and ooh, <laughs> ooh beans, oh, no, 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 and they'd walk away, and then people with, you know, fresh tomatoes and cut flowers were very busy, and I was really one of the lonelier vendors oh. in the beginning, but then all of a sudden, I got this call saying that the sous chef at French Laundry had seen them, and Thomas Keller would like to come and uh, get a tour of the different beans that we had, because... Uh, I think at that point we probably had 15. And so he came by. And now you can imagine what it means at the farmer's market when Thomas Keller shows up with his staff all in whites. Yeah, that's going to get you a little attention, isn't it? It was amazing. Um, it was. He asked the most intelligent questions, though. I mean, there's a reason why he's where he is. Uh-huh. And he really had an interest. And I think, you know, we just took beans for granted in a lot of ways in this country. And also sure. in, in Mexico, too, it's happening. So he went through, um, he left, everyone, of course, swarms around, which, was, which ones were he interested in, and that's the one that sold. 
which is kind of amazing. And um, we have one bean called Vallarta, which is a small yellow bean that I've never seen again. It's from Jalisco, Mexico, where Puerto Vallarta is from. Mm-hmm. But it's really probably virtually extinct, except for in a few farmers' hands up in the hill somewhere. Oh. But because Keller likes it, we have to grow it. And, you know, he maybe buys 20 pounds a year, but he likes it, so I feel obligated to grow it. But if he likes it, I would imagine that's got to spur some other Everybody wants to know what the Thomas Keller bean is. Right. And so now this bean that was on the verge of extinction is just thriving, and we grow thousands of pounds of it every year. Wow. Which, really, I like things like slow food and seed savers, but I think the really best way to save things that are on the verge of extinction is to get to people to eat them. Because right. once they do, they realize this really has an incredible value, and it's really worth paying more because the problem with the heirlooms is the yields are much, much lower than with a commodity bean. Mm, mm. So that's, uh, some people don't understand why occasionally you can get, you know, beans for 49 cents, but usually they're older beans that have been sitting in a silo. Oh, and older beans are no good. No, the older they are, the longer they, well, they lose their interesting characteristics, but they also uh, take longer to cook. So ours are all fresh within a year. We've still been able to maintain this model. Oh, that's good. You're moving through. Well, you know, that begs the question, you know, short of having Thomas Keller come and, you know, promote a bean just by, you know, liking it and buying it, how do you get people to eat beans? You've got great marketing in the store, but how do you really do that ultimate outreach? Well, it turns out there is a limited part of the population that loves beans. They're not an everyday food. It's not on everyone's mind. But when you find a bean freak, as we call them, They've been wondering where I've been. No <laughs> so, kidding. So there's a cult of bean. Oh, and it's just so great. And they go crazy. And they have to tell you every dish they've ever made. And, the, <laughs> and, it's, and like a martini drinker, the way they prepare it uh-huh. know, is the only way. And they really don't want to hear anything else. Um, so it's pretty fun. And then when they see all the varieties they have missed, you know, it's it, it's pretty funny. And we get a lot of chefs, obviously, from the farmer's markets. And... When they first see us, they're almost like deer in headlights because I'm a great chef and I'm supposed to know everything. Mm-hmm. And they'll always reach for the black beans because they are just freaked out by the assortment. But, I mean, who knows what eye of the goat is? I mean, it's not – but I don't. especially a lot of young chefs, uh, they're very funny. They reach for the black beans because that's their only point of reference. And, they know it. And they're afraid to ask questions. They come around eventually. But Good. No, so the, it, we – it wasn't conscious marketing per se, but – I really thought let's have the most important people who with good taste like them and then we'll uh, trickle down in some sense. So start with the tastemakers like Thomas Keller and then I would give a lot of beans to chefs in San Francisco and they became the people like saying you've got to try these beans. They're they're amazing. I thought marketing to people who were from food co-ops and old hippies like myself really wasn't the way to go Mm -hmm. because they're really about value only. Right. And... uh, I really, especially trying to make a business. Yeah. And also just the beans, like they were kind of sexy in a weird way. I mean, it's like, Oh wait, this is really exciting. And so it's not the B story is that they're very healthful and they're very green. But Mm -hmm. the A story is this is a neglected ingredient. And did you know there's like 50,000 varieties that you haven't even tried and let's discover them together. So that's been the marketing idea. And, but by the way, they are healthy and green. But I think when you start with more, people don't like moral food really. Or they say they do. <laughs> they don't buy it. Moral food? Yeah. So. Right. <laughs> you know, um, you, it is incredible to go into your store because there's, as I said, this variety. And I can't imagine, like, all of these being grown here locally in, in California. And I know you travel extensively. So do many of your beans also, 
either do you import them or do you find varieties and then bring the, the seeds back from Mexico, from Central America to grow here? How, how does that work? How do you discover the new beans? Well, my idea of a good time is to go to Mexico and not go to the beach, although I love that too, but to go to the markets or Tianguis and um, look for the small indigenous woman sitting on a grass mat mm-hmm. outside of the market and with a pile of gold as far as I'm concerned. And I'll just find this other heirloom bean and think that I've never even seen these. These are amazing. And it's from them. So I'll buy a pound or two. The thinking was to grow them here in Napa to get enough seed and then give them to the guys on the Delta to grow out. And that's happened a few times, but it's a really long process to mm. get enough seed. And I thought, how can I benefit these women farmers and indigenous farmers in Mexico and still get product and buy it directly? Well, they see me and, you know, a fat gringo in their market and they just shut down immediately because they're thinking is there's no way I'm going to come out ahead. Like the gringo's going to, this isn't going to work. So they would never do it. So I actually ended up meeting some partners in Mexico who grow sour prickly pears called Choconosle. And they're, because regular prickly pears are tunas and they're very sweet and these are super sour and they had dried them and made and sweetened them and some of them had chilies and they were all set up for export so I met them and they seemed really like great kids they're in their 30s which to me is a kid kids yeah exactly and they were set up for export and I said well do you have any local heirloom beans because maybe if you're set up for export we could start doing this together mm-hmm. and they're like oh no 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 there's none and then the mother said you know there's one in the village and so we went and of course there are hundreds and just like here, Mexicans have taken the heirloom varieties for granted. Mm-hmm. So th- now uh, my partners go in first, <laughs> and the women are more open I to see. things. And even then, it's just it takes a certain kind of entrepreneurial spirit to risk sending the beans to the states. So we go in, we buy their crops. At first, they were very negative about it. And we said, what is the problem? And they said, well, what are we going to eat? It's like, no, 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 no. We want you to save seed. We want you to eat. We're going to buy all the extra. I mean, they really thought we wanted oh, to see. clean them out. And seed in among rural farmer Mexicans is like, that's their currency. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So once they lose the seed, um, they're just they're just leery about even selling the crop because the crop, obviously, beans you can use as seeds right. as well. So we were able to do it, and it was a huge success. The best was going to pick up the first shipment from one family. This guy's name was Abel, and he grew um, beautiful corn and beans. And we just wanted to double-check the price when we were buying, I think, 2,000 pounds. A ton of beans. Yeah, exactly. And his... Um, hands were shaking and he couldn't do the calculator. He was he couldn't believe that he was coming into this much money. No kidding. And and to us, you know, it's nothing. And to this uh, guy, his year's been made. Yeah. And he had to he was wiping his tears and had to hand the calculator to his daughter who finished because yes, Pop, that's right. And he just was shaking. He wow. was so excited. So what like, a moment. Yeah. What a moment. All right, we have many more moments with beans and our guest Steve Sando of Rancho Gordo coming up. We do have to take a quick break. I want to talk to you more about Travels in Mexico, Central America, your artsy side, what's happening, your books, all kinds of great stuff going on with Rancho Gordo. We'll be back with more of Judd's Napa Valley Show right after these messages. Judd's Napa Valley Show. Every episode, a veritable cornucopia of finkel fun. And now, back to Napa Valley's ambassador of good times, fine wines, and lame rhymes, Chad Fingleside. Thank you very much to our in-studio announcer, Mr. Lauren Mole. We have with us 
the king of beans. I don't know if you call yourself that. That's just. Do, do you <laughs> no. have a title? The jefe, the uh, chief. What do you, what do you call yourself over there? Uh, the, el frijolero. El frijolero. I guess yeah. that's the bean dude. Yeah, the bean dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's Steve Sando from Rancho Gordo Beans. And before the break, we were talking about your travels in Mexico, and finding. Well, beans down there and locating great varieties and working deals to get the locals to grow them for you, and which seems like a great boost to their economy and their agriculture. And you have a whole program, a project, the Shashak Project, which which is spelled exactly as it sounds, Shashak, X-O-C. But let's hear about that. That seems really uh, intriguing and important. And Well, cool. our... My business partners, who are named Yun which is a fun, another fun name, yeah. and Gabrielle, uh, had a company called Shashok, and so that's, and they still have it, and they that's where they grow these treats. And I thought, well, we could import them and just market them as Rancho Gordo, but I thought, no, this is an actual project. It's finite, and I really wanted to help benefit their company as well because mm-hmm. we started with beans, but now we go, and this is where I'm the luckiest guy on the planet. We'll go on road trips to meet farmers, and um, on the way, we have these talks. I say like, things like, what about chia? Chia, I know, is an indigenous grain. She goes, oh, I, no one thinks about chia anymore, and there's two farmers in Puebla, but all the rest of it's coming from Australia. And it's like, well, let's try and grow chia in Mexico again, because that's where it's from. And we do things like starting to import chia, or oh. the piloncillo, which is the unrefined sugar we talked about before, mm-hmm. um, that just came from a road trip talk too. So we go on these road trips and think about Mexican traditions that really are on the verge of being lost. And she looks at me like I'm insane. Like who is going to buy Mexican Chia? And I said, well, actually there's a whole group of runners who are obsessed with the Chia now. And she is like the Chia plant, Chia. Right. But the seed is the Chia pet. Yes. And the seed is kind of, um, slimy, like flax and you put it in water. And classically in Mexico, you have it in a limeade, you know, it's a lemonade. It's a limeade, and you put some chia in it. Yeah, and then it hydrates and gets goopy and yes. kind of slimy. But You're it's right. got uh, omega-3s in it, and it's really healthy, it turns out. I'll, I am going to confess something right here. Mm-hmm. I eat chia. There you go. I've done a little yeah. research. I've looked into the health benefits, great nutritional value, um, you know, fiber, all this good stuff. And if you can get past the slimy consistency, kind of as a little... Treat in your drink, coke, put it in coconut water, limeade. It's great. Sure, yeah. So that I know that, and now we're bringing pinole in, which is toasted ground corn with, excuse me, some of the piloncillo and cinnamon, and they eat it in Mexico almost like we used to eat Jello packs. I don't know if you ever did that as a kid, where you're licking the <laughs> yeah. Jello powder. So they like to lick this pinole, but they also make a nice kind of gruel is not a nice word, but it is kind of a thin porridge out of it. And it's also, now it turns out runners um, are following the Tarahumara runners of northern Mexico and they do this chia pinole mix. Oh, so it turns out a lot of indigenous food is incredibly healthy. Mm-hmm. And the basis for you know the Mesoamerican diet pre-conquest was, um, which is actually appropriate with Columbus Day just here, but was, but was corn, beans, and chilies. I mean, that really, and when you think about it, you can have a complete protein. The chilies provide vitamin C, and you had other things as well, but it was a great foundation for a diet, certainly better than Big Macs and fries and, uh, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, fast yeah, of freeze. So, yeah. so this uh, Shashak project yeah. is, uh, you know, bringing these to the fore here. That's yes, and then very what's cool. really nice is um, we... Well, the farmers in Mexico are finding their market shrinking because more and more 
middle class Mexicans, which and the middle class is growing by leaps and bounds in Mexico, mm. but they're going to the superstores because oh, like oh. everybody, they're really busy and mm-hmm. they to go to one store is really a relief. And right. I mean, of course, those of us who love food and romanticize it would much prefer to go to a market, talk to the vendors and buy the best where it's at. But the realities of modern life sometimes aren't that way. So the market's shrinking. But as we have more interest in it, we're creating a market here. So my thinking is we'll pick up the slack for a little while. But the, the farmers in Mexico understand that the heirlooms have more flavor and are better. But they look at me and think, I don't know. Well, you don't get it. I can't believe you get it. And it's so much fun trying to convince them that, no, there's actually a market for this thing. There are people who want it. Yeah. You know, certainly the beans that you purvey and you yourself admired by you know, famous chefs. You've mentioned of Thomas Keller and others. You know, I'm reading about you. So many folks love Rancho Gorda, love what you're doing. Um, restaurateurs, I've seen them on lists, you know, if I go into very nice restaurants and I say, our special today includes this and this with, you know, Rancho Gordo beans. And, and um, even in my travels, it's amazing the reach that you have with these beans. Now, a quote that I read of yours from the New York Times, mm-hmm. actually, and I thought this was really intriguing. You said that ingredients are the new chefs on some level. Well, they're the, the rock stars in a way. Like, yeah. I think restaurants used to be what was important and then the chefs came. But right now, I think we're in an era where ingredients are just are just as important. You want to talk about how beans fit into that? Um, well, sure. I mean, you can go and get a ton of mediocre beans for not very much money, or you can get something absolutely great. And I think um, the fresh ingredients that we have access to in the Bay Area are sort of dictating the way we cook now. Hmm. And I think uh, it's a good thing. Just yeah. No, <laughs> as as someone who. Uh, Promotes ingredients. It's hard for me to say too much. Well, but I mean, I, I agree. But go ahead and promote. Yeah, I mean, no, no, no. I mean, you, you can only do so much with bad ingredients. You can try and cover them up, and I think it's worth it to have a little bit of something great than to have a whole lot of something not so great. Well, That's, no arguing yeah. that. No, well, I think some well, people though really believe, like. I've had what do you pata negra? That incredible um, prosciutto. Uh, ham from Spain, mm-hmm. where they're fed only acorns towards the end, and the flavor is absolutely out of this world. But then here, in, when we do barbecues in America, we have no—you're just buying cheap cuts of pork from a superstore. Usually, you're not really doing heirloom breeds. Mm-hmm. I think it's coming, but I think it's interesting that you don't need a whole lot of barbecue sauce and other things if you're buying quality pork. Right. Yeah, you know, the flavor's already there. The quality's right. there. Oh, makes a lot of sense. How do you how do you steer folks to the right bean? Because again, when you go into your store, either here in Napa or at the Ferry Building in San Francisco, it's overwhelming. Especially to somebody like me. The first time I went in there, I mean, I didn't know anything about beans. I just, well, I'm curious to see what a bean store looks like. And I went in, and wow, <laughs> well, there's yeah, a lot well, of beans. Well, first, you need good staff. I'd start with there. We have great staff that loves beans. Everyone at Rancho Gordo loves beans, or they wouldn't be there. So that, that was obvious, because the yeah. fellow that helped me really? had a story for every oh, good. bean, and had descriptors. I felt almost like I was at a wine tasting, and this one has, you know, the aromatics and the right. subtle notes of, like, wow, beans, really? But it's hard from a marketing standpoint. I think we do have too many, almost, because like, I think most beginning cooks think, I'm not even sure I want to cook beans, and now you're making me choose between 25 varieties, <laughs> or 35 if it's the height of the season. And then we have other people who get mad at us because I want this tarbay bean so I can make a proper cassoulet from France. Mm. So we're we have the whole gamut. 
So hopefully we can steer you. I one of my least favorite questions is what's your favorite bean? Because I always come back with which which is your favorite child? I mean, right, you, right. No, it's you love them all question. for different reasons. I get that almost every day in the tasting room. You know, I'm sure. which is your favorite wine? And I, I know what they're really saying is just sh- get me something that I'm not going to be right. disappointed in or that it will get me as excited about it as mm-hmm. you are, but it's still a horrible question. I still bristle when I get it. But we have a couple. There's Our number one beans are white runner beans, and there's runner cannellini, a Corona. It's a big, fat white bean yeah. with a thin skin that in, is probably one of the oldest um, cultivated vegetables in the New World. They have like 2,000-year-old samples of this bean being cultivated in Oaxaca. Really? Yes. And what's also interesting is when the conquest happened, we think that they were, well, we, uh, many people think they were wild savages who, thank goodness, the Europeans came to tame them, when in fact they were way more advanced in agriculture than the Europeans. They had the concept of zero down. They... Mm. Didn't have a wheel, oddly enough. They didn't figure out the wheel, but they uh, astrologically they were comparable to what was going on in Europe. So it's kind of amazing. Yeah, sure. But anyway, so this that's what it's a, talk about a segue. It's a great bean that everybody loves because you can cook it in the Mexican way, maybe with chili sauce or puree it, or you, the Italians have gone nuts with this. So you can make uh, white beans and kale. You can do white beans and uh, uh, anchovies and push make a, some. Uh, Cream for a for ta- what do you call them the crostini mm. so I mean, anyway yeah, yeah, yeah. so that the white bean the big, large white beans are a huge thing um, the real zappe which I mentioned before which we're out of right now um, is hints of chocolate and coffee and a pinto bean we have eye of the goat which is a big juicy kind of barbecue type bean but it's pot liquor or bean broth is so superior that it's worth making just for the liquid say that again because I never heard of that phrase until. I saw a video, which I encourage everybody to go either on, um, or is it chow.com or YouTube, type in Steve oh. Sando, and there's a video of you showing basic bean cooking, a that's quick video, yeah. and you use that term pot liquor, which I had never... It's a good one, That's, though, by the way, it? that's L-I-Q-U-O-R. Or L-I-K-K-E-R, too. If oh, I've country seen that folk. No. But <laughs> as opposed to L-I-C-K-E-R, don't yeah. be a pot liquor, yeah. you'll burn your tongue. But, yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, that's so, funny. But go ahead. When you talk about the pot liquor, you said that's very important. You know, pick a bean. Don't throw out that water it's been soaking in. Cook it in there. The flavor enhances. It It, it remains. It Help me out because I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, when you buy canned beans, and this is one huge difference, is most instructions will say rinse them because they've been sitting in the slimy, nasty oh, right. stuff. Whereas when you cook your own beans, it's free soup. And you can use this liquid to poach eggs. You can use it as a basis for a soup later. You can... Um, Add anything flavorful instead of using stock. You can use this bean liquid or pot liquor. So it's pot a great liquor. one. Yeah. Um, and uh, and certain beans make a more flavorful exactly. pot liquor. And okay. one we have uh, Christmas lima. It's almost beefy. It's really weird. Ooh. And if you have tons of garlic and tons of uh, wild mushrooms with this one, it's a great segue food if you're trying to cut back on beef for some reason. Interesting, huh? Yeah. I try not to be too moral about that. I have a lot of vegans and vegetarians who obviously, but I'm an omnivore. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is as an omnivore too, I still think the beans taste better if you do them vegetarian. I just use aromatic vegetables, a little olive oil and water, and then that's it. Because a very traditional way would be maybe with lard or bacon fat or... And it's un- or, you know, a ham bone or chicken stock. But I think it's really gilding the lily in it. Ah. With heirlooms, you're going to lose what was really special about them. I yeah, think, it's not necessary. You. You get the true flavor. Yeah. As you said, you're starting with these quality ingredients. Exactly. So when these bean freaks, as you call them, come in, 
are they just always looking for the the next thing, the thing they've never seen? Do they are they loyal to a certain being? What's kind of the well, mindset? They, at? Yes, they are loyal to a certain being. They can't wait to find out what else we have, and and that's really as someone who produces this stuff, you really have to be careful not to lose that trust. I mean, they really trust you, and you can say this one isn't good for this or that. Um, now when they take pictures with us, it's hysterical. <laughs> oh. Well, because a lot of people, you know, you can only taste so much wine, and at some point, it's like they want to do something else, and there's usually one person in the group who has been a bean freak and drags the rest of the group to, who really want to go wine tasting, but they come to us. But by the end, everyone's a bean freak, because so it was really fun. And if you're in, they want their picture with you. Oh, you're, for sure. Yeah, I know. And now my staff, they're, the somewhat, they're turning into <laughs> to somewhat stars. And then we have people like uh, the chef Rick Bayless in Chicago who only wants the Mexican beans, and then we have other people who only want uh, the California grown beans. Okay. So it's really interesting. So we're beans kind of in the stars. They are. Yeah, which is re- really nice. We have that atmosphere. I mean, the 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 store has all the movie posters. So it's yes, like I very have, cinematic. <laughs> I have a very weird uh, collection of uh, I'd like to say I can stop and that I'm not addicted, but that isn't true. But we have Mexican movie posters from the golden age of cinema. And then the just before the McCarthy era, a lot of uh, leftists had to leave the business and a lot of them went to Mexico. And so there's this 15 year period where they had incredible lighting, incredible music, mm. incredible production values and these great stories. And then also Mexico's a younger culture. So their revolution, you know, was the 1920s. Um, the government actively used cinema to define what it was to be a Mexican. I see. So it was really interesting. They're phenomenal posters. Thank I mean, you. It's worth yeah. the trip. Even if you're not a bean freak, go Go discover some beans and check out these posters. The store is hip. The packaging, you have that logo with the lady licking her lips. I mean, how would you not want those beans? But you know what's so funny? I can't get over it. After, like I was saying, a career of trying to find out what to do or trying to please other people, I just came up with, like, this is what I want. This is I would buy this box. So that's really right. what guides me. I think I'm my own best customer, which I think that's another secret for people starting out in business is if it's not going to make you happy, you probably don't understand it. I think you're absolutely right. And if, if it makes you happy, you will attract similar-minded folks right. to you. Now, you said you're an omnivore a moment ago, mm-hmm. so I have a very important question to ask you. All right. <clears throat> Steve Sando? Yes. El Frijolero. <laughs> do you go nuts for donuts? Oh, I do. oh sure. Look, oh, they're beautiful. Too. There you go. That is a big pink box of donuts from our favorite buttercream bakery celebrating their 65th birthday today, by the way. And, you know, uh, I was going to say, not a birthday goes by at Rancho Gordo that we don't take a surprise trip to buttercream. Oh, well, today and, and is staff. your birthday. Oh. <laughs> so choose one of those. Let's see which one he goes for, Lauren. He's got a uh, choice oh, there. I'm sorry, a glazed old-fashioned. Gonna... <laughs> oh, oh, again, the maple old-fashioned. We That's about 90% of the guests, I'm guessing. I haven't done an official poll. But, um, but if okay. I'm feeling guilty, I go straight for the apple fritter. Oh, yeah, those are good. <laughs> so you've got that maple old-fashioned yes. donut from buttercream. I would like to know what... This is also I call the dumb question section of the show. You know what? What bean dish are you going to serve with that? What goes with maple old fashioned donut? Uh, bean dish um, or bean? Well, can I do product? <laughs> the, whatever you want. I would do the peel and see. Well, you know, did you know the vanilla is a orchid from Mexico? 
I have heard. So I would do something vanilla-y, maybe. Yeah. We, may, but it's already sweet enough. Um, you know, in Texas, they take pinto beans and cook them without anything and then drizzle honey over them. Ooh. And I haven't had that yet, but I would. this is maybe how I would. That's you'd give I'd that a shot. i the hole. Oh, the hole of the donut, donut with the uh, beans and honey. Oh. Overflowing. And All right. That goes. Yeah. You heard it here. Maybe in your next book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, and now it's time to play everyone's favorite party game here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. This is Mad Libs. All right, Steve Sando of Rancho Gordo Beans. I think you know how this game goes. It's Mad Libs. You are going to fill in the blanks. All right, I'll do my best. Okay, first thing we need is a geographic location. Um, Istanbul. Istanbul. We need a plural noun. Um, I've been watching Toddlers and Tiaras, so Tiaras <laughs> a lot. <laughs> What a show that is. Okay. If you ever want to feel like a good parent, you should watch this show because it's like, oh, I'm doing a good job compared to these women. (laughs) Boost your self-confidence as a parent. Exactly. Uh, Another geographic location. Uh, Westminster Abbey. Oh, okay. Westminster Abbey. An adjective? I'm verklempt. Verklempt. Oh, that's a good (laughs) one. Coffee talk. All right. uh, Another adjective. Um, embarrassing. Embarrassing. We're going to keep this one quick. We'll stop there. Short on time. And I do want to mention your books before oh. we go off the air. So we'll do this Mad Libs. Okay. Okay. So, Steve, I went on to RanchoGordo.com. Mm-hmm. And on the About, <laughs> on the about RanchoGordo.com page, there is a little bit about you, which I assume you wrote. And you've just now rewritten updated uh, updated right. via mad lib so okay. here we go let's see all what right. we can find out about you steve says i'm lucky enough to travel throughout mexico and central istanbul <laughs> searching for unique and rare legumes and tiaras Perfect. that i'll bring back to my trial gardens here in westminster abbey <laughs> each summer i grow them out to see if they'd be suitable for production or just seed saving we're starting to develop a verklempt seed bank <laughs> as friends and customers are constantly sending me odd and rare beans from their travels. I share seeds via the Seed Saver Exchange, and I'd encourage anyone to give growing beans a go. It's easy, fun, and the rewards are almost embarrassing. That's great. <laughs> That's spooky. That's good. Well done, sir. And I need to update the website, as everyone always says, so maybe I'll... Uh... Oh, yeah, you can have this. this. I'll, if I I'll, can, yeah. I'll give this to you. You can All use right. that to update. Uh, before you go, there are some ways folks can experience you, even if they can't get to either of your stores here in Napa or at the Ferry Building in San Francisco, or they don't find them at their local grocer or on the menu of their favorite restaurant, yeah. and that is through your writings. You have a couple books out there that can be found on Amazon.com, among other places. And sure. Well, the first book, Heirloom Beans, was uh, from 2009, I think. It's in its third printing, believe it or not. Wow, congratulations. A book on Heirloom Beans. Who, who knew? Bean Freaks. <laughs> Bean Freaks. Hooray for yeah, you, folks. Yeah. And then, I think um, I'm becoming one here. Good. Oh, no, I hope so. And... Um, the second book was on growing them, and uh, it wasn't such a pleasant experience. You, you really oh. have to work with a good publisher that you know. Oh. But it was all right. I'm going to get it. Yeah, we're going to redo it <laughs> a bit. But it's out there. It is out there. Also, if you are a bean freak or a bean fan, I forgot to mention, uh, beans are just like any vegetable. We plant them in the spring, harvest them in the fall. So we're out of a lot of everyone's favorites, but we're, we're slowly getting them back. Okay, so if you head in, they don't have your favorite, be patient. Yes, and probably nothing I mentioned today we're going to have in oh. stores, even though we have a million beans. But, well, folks, yeah. this gets podcasts. Folks might listen to this months exactly. down the road and right. come in. Yeah. But it is a veg- they're vegetables, and we don't shake a tree and 
right. or go to a warehouse to get more. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, you that's know? why they're so fresh. Wonderful. Steve Sando, Rancho Gordo Beans, thank you so much for being our guest today. Lauren Mole, have fun at the rodeo. Thanks, Jed. And we'll see you next week on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa Valley Show.